Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening from whenever and wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Afropolitan Central. I'm one of your co-hosts, Omalayo. I am a Nigerian-American currently living in London and getting her master's in migration and development. I'm here with your lovely co-host, Nana. Whoop whoop, I am Nana, a Guinean currently living in London, working as a financial services consultant. Together, we're Afropolitan Central, a bi-weekly podcast that brings you fresh, exciting, and intellectually stimulating discussions about the African continent and diaspora. Alrighty, so let's jump into today's episode. Alright, so today we're going to be talking about several topics. We're going to be unpacking this idea of an authentic African culture. We're going to be looking at African elitism and what that looks like and how those of us, both on the continent and in the diaspora, can wield privilege in in a productive way. Yep. Um, this is a topic that I think um, had been gnawing away at us for a while, and we've had different conversations <laughs> about it. We've had different encounters that have made us say, wait, wait a minute, like what's going on here, blah, 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 and trying to unpack that. So it only made sense mm-hmm. um, for us to bring it to the Afropolitan Central table. So this one's an exciting one, and we're you know eager to go on this exploratory journey with you, you know, um, using a series of questions, etc., as we kind of unpack these ideas. Um, but as is might cus- be shaking some tables, but hey, it's okay. <laughs> I beg, I'm I'm on these tables myself, and you know, please let's exactly. let's not <laughs> let's not be too let's not shake too much, eh? <laughs> um, but of course, as is customary with us at Afropost and Central, um, before we get into the topic at hand, um, we're just gonna get into a little bit of chit chat. So, Amalia, let's start with you. What's going on with hey. you, and what's happening in the Afro? Paulton space that you can clue us in on yeah of course so actually mine is super related to today's topic Ooh. um because yeah uh so um while i'm here in school i was invited conscripted conscripted what does <laughs> that mean two words. um conscripted like when you like make someone join the army oh, oh <laughs> i wow. was um i was invited to come join the after um, the SOAS African Development Forum, okay. which is this annual forum um, where, you know, people who are interested in Africa's development gather and talk and everything. So ours is like a two-day conference. It's super going to, it's going to be amazing. Um, the, actually, the deputy secretary of um, the UN is coming to be like one of our keynote speakers and like, you know, the former prime minister of Niger and all these things. So it's actually going to be super awesome. And so it's been really interesting. I've been helping out with press for the event. Um so I, I feel like for me, that's mm-hmm. kind of like my interesting news. And I know like LSE is having their Africa Summit after mm-hmm. um, the, like the weekend after us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just encourage anyone who's like in the London area to check out those events, especially Ooh. the SOAS one. <laughs> <laughs> the theme for this is security. Um, and so it's kind of looking at like security from like several different aspects. Um, so we look at defending Africa. Um, we look at preserving Africa, which is like a food and health panel. We actually got one of my friends, um, Chef Kabui from Elon. Mm-hmm. He's going to be coming to speak on that panel. So I'm super excited about oh. that. Um, there's going to be one on growing Africa, which is an economic panel. Defending Africa is like a political panel. And yeah. then um, disrupting Africa, which is a panel on like youth and society and culture and how those how these like social norms are changing and things of that nature. And then I have another friend who's going to be on one of the panels. Um, my friend Gwen, who's like a peace activist from Liberia and everything. So I'm super excited about the event. Um, so why I kind of said it was related to today's topic is that I always wonder about, you know, all these gatherings where we, you know, talk about, Oh, Africa development, blah, blah, blah. And then we talk, yeah. we have these conversations, make the connect. And they kind of all just like going to go our separate ways. Um, Cause a lot of these topics that we discuss are really like far removed from those of us um, discussing it, you know what I mean? Because mm. uh, the truth is, so we'll be talking you know, about like abject poverty and conflict and blah, blah, blah. But the truth is a lot of the people sitting on these panels mm. aren't the ones like specific listening and sitting on these panels aren't the ones like directly implicated mm. in these situations that we're talking about. Um, so I don't know, like I, I love and hate these events. I'm not going to lie. Like I love them because like it's just, it feels so great to be like around each other and like, you know, yeah. talking about these things and yeah. like, you know, really contributing to the conversations, right, yeah, around yeah. Africa's development. 
but then I always wonder, like, to what extent are we actually contributing to Africa's development? Or are we just conversing oh, about gosh. it? You yeah, know? it's so funny because I think, I don't know if it was after TEDx or when it was, like, I was t- I'm talking to my friend Tosin, hey girl, hey, um, about it. Um, and she was just like, you know, if I'm going to be completely, I, I don't know if this was the last thing that we talked about or what exactly sparked it. But she was like, you know what, if I'm being completely honest, I'm tired of all this dialogue and conversations because it feels like, you know, we're mm-hmm. always dialogue dialoguing we're always conversing but how much of us are actually doing the do and actually getting things done and I was like Mm -hmm. well you know Mm -hmm. we can do both you know we can dialogue and we can also create action (laughs) she's like but are we doing both though (laughs) are we doing both so I I think it's I think it's valid yeah I think it's valid and I think there's something too that can probably segue really well into today's topic is is also the privilege that we have maybe privilege might not be the the right word but the ability that we have to be away from the continent debating the philosophical and theoretical concepts relating to it but technically not being affected by the strife and the struggle of the everyday day-to-day stuff to be actually moved to action um right so yeah but right, I, 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 but I think at the end of the day, though, oh. like, I just want to say that involved. Yeah, I mean, I was even going to say that. I, I think you know, I still stand by my initial thought that we can do both because I think um, mm-hmm. dialogue and etc. is is always a really good starting point for action because then you find out other people that are just as passionate about these issues as you are and hopefully yeah. able to then take it offline or take it from there and actually start and birth right. movements out of it so i think it's i think it serves its purpose i think it's it's only you know it does have an element of privilege in it absolutely but i think that you know it can be a really good starting point and a really good um thing to weaponize um if if done correctly so yeah exactly yeah i, I get, am with you yeah. what's your afropolitan updates from oh, the my, newsosphere yeah my afropolitan update is that i'm in ghana right now so woohoo oh yeah, yeah so cool <laughs> how is that going what's it like being home because yeah. i know you know last of the back um you know, are we moving back or not? If you haven't listened to that episode, definitely take a look. Um, definitely take a listen. Because mm. lots of interesting topics there. But Nana, what has been I know it's not quite like, you know, full moving back, whatever, whatever, but still no. like breathing that African air, soaking in that African sun. How is that going? Yeah. That Ghanaian sun, you know? Yeah, Ghana is um Ghana is as it is. It's so interesting because it's like so much has so much has changed, but also so much has not. Um, mm. and of course that has is it's good and it's bad and I think that's where the charm lays so being able to go back home for instance um, seeing family you know seeing my grandma for instance like I went to visit her yesterday and just seeing essentially the house that I grew up um, you know so you know some things have changed like you know some of us we moved out my little cousins are away blah 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 but you know so much is also still the same like so much of the stuff that I still grew up with um, and I guess away from family or apart from family and stuff, I think it's just been really good being here because I think you guys will hear me say on the, um, on the, are we moving back or not? Yeah. Episode about the fact that like eventually I do want to end up back home, but I also talked about how in the interim, I want to be able to, um, work in ways that are connected to the continent and I think that has really been invigorated being here because I feel like there's just so much um so much to be done because like I said so much has changed but so much is also the same and in that Mm -hmm. sameness lies a lot of opportunity that you know I'm hoping and praying that I'm brave enough to act on so I think it's it's really good like I really needed this break because I think it can get really interesting and a bit monotonous because I think I've just been in a bit of a funk um being being at work and whatnot so it's been really good to be surrounded by family um you know like I met my twin brothers for the first time for instance they're super adorable um you know (laughs) sorry what'd you say I said I endorsed that message about yeah. how adorable they are. <laughs> yeah, 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 they're so cute. Um, 
and just you know so the family connections and also just like the life stock taking off okay where am I at what can I do blah 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 so it's it's pretty and something interesting that we touched on was how um you felt like your timeline might have shifted because you know it used to be like oh you know I'll move back you know eventually but now you're like perhaps sooner rather than later yeah and then like not like I said you put a time on it but it's just interesting the way that a change of environment really comes with a change of perspective yeah I mean I think so because I was thinking I was like you know why does it have to be so far away because you know and maybe this is me just talking through my holiday glasses because I'm only here for like what two weeks and who knows maybe after I've been here for six months I'll be like get me out of here and get me back to London or whatever nonsense yeah but I think at this point I'm like hmm you know, I'm so fired up, etc. You know, it doesn't, and I think Nicole had also been the one that touched on this, or maybe yourself, that it doesn't have to be a complete move back. So there has, there's layers to it that can be done. So, um, I know one thing I'm gonna do is definitely try to pursue from a career standpoint. For instance, how can I do things that are more linked to the continent that can keep me tied to it more and more before I physically, you know, get here. So. Yeah, yeah lots of things um, to consider. Yeah, that idea of it not necessarily being like a complete move back is like a perfect way to like just like go ahead and jump right into today's conversation. Because um, um, it's this idea that you know we would be able if you wanted, you could build a lifestyle for yourself that was um, across multiple continents. You know, um, you know, like live in London half the year and, and across the half of the year, you know, like there's a lot of, you know, people our age nowadays who are doing that, who perhaps like have a business back Mm, home, but mm. like also still have like family and friends that they still like see a lot. Another home, right? So like not everywhere has to be like back homes. And I know Paulatin, that was kind of like the idea that she was like taking up, you know, how a lot of us, um, you know, Afropolitan millennials have like multiple places we call home. Mm. And so that might not just be like oh vacation I vacation here and I um went to boarding school and blah 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 it could also just be now as a young working I spend part of my time here part of my time there so what really sparked my interest in today's topic was that I was having a conversation with a friend about Afropolitanism and they said that they you know rejected this concept because they thought it was very elite um and that you know they're this idea of like oh jet setting Africans wearing Ankara blah 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 Mm. was just like not something they identified with um and at that time I'm like wait but you're about to take a trip and you're wearing Ankara right now so aren't you a jet setting African Mm -hmm. I don't know Mm -hmm. um and so it was just like this idea that like like, um portraying Mm -hmm. Africans as rich and like able and like elite or whatever is like elitist um, in and of mm. itself. Yeah. So, and I think this is one of the huge contentions around the term Afropolitan in the first place. Like a lot of people think it's very like elitist, very um, capitalist, even that is just like, oh, commodifying African culture mm. um, and things of that nature. And I know um, the lady who does Miss Afropolitan, she's done responses to this line of thinking where she's like, well, why can't we have multiple subcultures within Africa? Like, why why aren't we like allowing for the fact that there are some elite people or people with money you know or like Mm. you know whatever Mm. however you want to term it yeah I think I think that's an interesting one um thanks for kind of setting the scene for us and kind of giving us a lot of background and context to what the kind of argument is um you know I think just to chime in there like I feel like something else that I have recognized is you know as you said people kind of feel like Afropolitanism is you know elitist or blah 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 so then people are like well what about pan-africanism because you know that seems like a more palatable you know less consumerist um and more digestible kind of concept and theory that's rooted more you know in the political realm so sounds more serious sounds like it's actually doing something but I mean at the end of the day is it actually and does the average person on the ground you know, actually feel these Pan-Africanist um, kind of um, sentiments. Because at the end of the day, you know, I, I mean, you know, this is me kind of probably speaking for somebody else, but if I'm an average citizen, you know, that's struggling to get by and, you know, just 
kind of making it day by day, you know, with my own business or in school or whatever. Do I really care about unifying the um, the continent and kind of like these ideals that are spouted by Pan-Africanism? Because I feel like you also have to have a level of privilege, a level of comfort, a level of socioeconomic security to then start to wonder about all these other things and how that would look like. But I feel like until you've taken care of those basic needs, I don't know if that's your concern. Exactly. And I think even if we look at the history of Pan-Africanism, it was a very much like, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if I, I, I I'm kind of like starting to dislike the term elitist, but it was a very like privileged, like, um, level of person that could like sit there and like, you know, go to all these like Pan-African conferences. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we think of people like Kwame Nkrumah, who was like, um, you know, one of the fathers of, um, Pan-Africanism yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah. he started it, um, he got into that movement mm. when he was studying in the U.S. and stuff. And so that's when he, mm. you know, got into like the whole like transnational Pan-African movement. Mm. And so, you know, when, um, you know, Ghana had its independence movement, um, independence party and like inauguration and all those things, like other Pan-Africanists um, at that time who were also fighting the civil rights movement, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, why am I blanking on people's names? But I know Mark, I know Mark the King <laughs> um, joined him. Um, Marcus Garvey, I want to say. Uh, I hope I don't have that long timeline. But anyways, all these people were connected at a level that like, like you're saying, you know, perhaps the average person wouldn't care about. Mm. Um, and so we had actually had this conversation mm. earlier today with a few friends where we were talking about what does Pan-Africanism mean when, you know, people are shaking hands at an international level, but like on the ground, yeah. like, there are Nigerians facing racism in Morocco. Meanwhile, Morocco is about to do like mm. a Pan-African conference. Mm. So mm. not not even to say like, oh, people don't have time to theorize about Pan-Africanism or whatever, but or, you know, all these things. But it's also like what situation are they facing in other African countries? Like there's so much mm. xenophobia towards other Africans in South yeah. Africa, for example. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's just, um, I don't know. Yeah, and so I, I think like just because Mm-hmm. some people in a movement might be like elitist or sexist or whatever doesn't mean you like toss out the whole movement that's what I was gonna say because I was like you know <laughs> in as much as I've just argued about you know the fact that or theorized about the fact that like you know with Pan-Africanism you know how grounded in reality is it and what does it actually translate into for the ordinary person I think it also comes to the concept of I can walk and chew gum you know at the same time so <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no, that's to, 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 to be yeah, fair, yeah. to be to be completely transparent, you know, that's something yeah. that just came to my mind because there was a viral clip about this US, I think she's like a congresswoman or a senator. No, she's not a senator. She's like a congresswoman or house rep or whatever, this black lady who like went viral because I think the Republicans were doing the most about Michael Cohen's testimony. So I think, you know, I guess my my I guess my comeback for that for what we've just discussed now is the fact that you know we can't deny though that there's it's important for us to also have this kind of visionary forward-thinking angle because then you can almost argue that that has been the cause of our stagnated growth or our demise or whatever mm-hmm. is that there isn't that much thought being put into mm, actually let's let's for a couple of seconds forget about what is going on in reality right now and also think right. about our future and how we can strategize and how we can um, build stronger you know economic systems for ourselves or political systems right. etc um and so I think you know it, it does become an, a classic issue of I can walk and chew gum at the same time because I think it's going to take a while for all of our economies to be sustainably developed so that like we've all moved away from the basic needs. So if we say, oh, we're going to delay this kind of high level theoretical thinking until then, then it's like, will it not be too late um, for mm-hmm. that kind of thinking? To, so it's to like, evolve? why can't we just have both? But then in 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 these yeah. conversations about like growth and like developing yeah. our economies, yeah. some people are like arguing that like we're we're trying too hard to like look like Western economies and look like Western nations. Yeah. And so aren't we just like re re-entrenching these um exploitative capitalist structures or actually more accurately re um re-entrenching these like exploitative neoliberal structures that like leave some of us rich and some of us and leave the rest of us poor. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so, like, this idea that um, 
like I think one argument that was made on um this um the blog is Africa as a country. country. Yeah, yeah. I won't link a lot of these below. Um yeah. but the really, lady really who wrote stuff, Why is Not Afropolitan for her, she felt like a lot of like people who um, adhere to the Afropolitan concept, they were just trying to relive um, Western lifestyles, but like in African countries, right? Mm. And so, like, she was basically saying they were just like taking um, hipster culture mm. back over to, yeah. um, to the southern, um, to sub-Saharan Africa. I don't know why I'm like blanking today. Mm. You know what I mean? So where she was basically saying like, why does African growth need to like mirror the West? And why is that the only mm. measure mm. of success and like economic growth when all we're doing is like redoing the same modes of exploitation, exploitation um, that we saw in the West or that the West did to Africa yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point to to bring across because I think it also comes, you know, because I, I guess like that's a lot of what the critique has been about with these kind of um, forms of expression or forms of identity or theories or whatever is the fact that ultimately is rooted towards making ourselves more palatable for the West or making mm-hmm. ourselves... Yeah. Like, who is it for? Is this yeah. for the Western gaze? Yeah, you know? it's for the Western gaze or is this for us? I think... You know, to be completely honest, maybe this is something that I can defer to you because you're the person that's actually studying it, you know, in a prestigious institution and whatnot. But I think at the end of the day, like, whilst I agree that it shouldn't be an issue of copy and paste, because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. completely different societies, we have completely different cultures, um, development doesn't look a singular way. And so... Yeah. It shouldn't be just about let's make this as Western as possible and then we'll know that we're developed. But I think, I, I don't know, like I don't think that development for the African continent will, it is like, will be completely devoid and completely alien from what development has looked like in the West. I think there are mm-hmm. going to be elements of it that are always going to be present. Like I think a developed economy is always, you know, kind of, characterized for instance by an education um, like a a population that's very well educated and has the skills necessary to meet the demands of its economy it's going to be you know represented by certain living conditions going to be like I think from from that standpoint I don't I I I kind of um disagree a bit because I'm like like, are we going to reinvent the whole development wheel completely <laughs> for, for ourselves? Like, I, I don't think yeah. that. Yeah, I don't think that's I'm not sure. Be... I'm not sure. I don't think um, I don't think it was necessarily about like specific instances like, oh, like are jobs available for graduates It's more just okay. like, oh, like coffee shops and like Instagrammable corners of like the city, even though like the rest of the city, not the rest of the city, but like even though there's like pockets of extreme poverty in said city, but like there would like be like Instagrammable walkways, like yeah. you know, smoothie hubs and like co-working spaces and like la da 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 da. Um I guess okay. Yeah, I don't know. So here is my devil's advocate thing. At the end of the day though, like even if we take a country like the US, mm-hmm. are we saying that every single square mile of radius or whatever the measurement is in the u.s is inhabited by people and families etc that are all able to enjoy all the hallmarks of development that the u.s has it's girl like, say it say it for the people in the back it's it's, it's <laughs> not like it's not absolute like i've seen levels yeah. of poverty in the u.s that i was like eh, america america uh-huh. has this you know? I legit called out my like um, department for it because like you know I'm in the development department and I feel like we talk as if and like okay wait like just I premise it with the fact that SOAS is like I'm um, like much better about acknowledging this than other okay. schools might be yeah. but the fact yeah. that like development is something that we have to do over there over in Asia over in Africa over in Latin America as if like people aren't over here in London sleeping on the street mm. Mm. question. Mm. Mm. Hmm. so yeah so yeah but I yeah on like how everything doesn't have to look the same and like everything and what would it even mean to be modern and develop we don't have I don't I don't know I don't I don't know exactly what things are like only emblematic of the west as if 
all these cult, all these countries and cultures aren't like intermingling. Because I think sometimes when you're like, oh, let's not copy the West, let's not copy the West, blah, 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 blah. We get into this like essentialist vision of what traditional African culture looks like, right? Yeah. So oh, we start that's a thinking really good like, too, yeah. You know what I mean? Because when we're trying so hard to not look like the West, we kind of start like romanticizing pre-colonial Africa, mm. right? Mm. Pre-Africa and then try to be like, oh, okay, what did it look like then? Mm. Let's do that. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, and I think that's, yeah. that's, a bit, that's a bit dangerous. A bit dangerous. Yep. I think, you know, what I'm, what I'm thinking about is that, for instance, like, I think, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I think this is this is really similar to the museum episode that we had because it's like you can't take either position because there's value and there's merit. Like, yes. there's so many double-edged swords, yes. whatever. Like, for me, for instance, I think whenever, you know, we're able to tell ourselves, like, okay, what did it look back then? Let's just take a look. It is, I think it's always a moment that mm-hmm. makes me proud because I'm like, we have in a way gotten so far away from our roots and from our history and from kind of like how things were because you know hello colonialism being told to like shed so many aspects of yourself because you're barbaric and the back blah blah, blah 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 so you know when we do have instances where we look back I'm always like for it but I think where the problem comes in Amalia which is like what you're saying is that when it starts to get romanticized because once again nothing is absolute those societies didn't were imperfect um living in harmony like just utopias <laughs> yeah it wasn't kumbaya you know there there were there were elements of it that were undesirable so i think i think i don't know i think it, what this comes down to is that i think that we need to define for ourselves like what we want what do we want our development to look to look like right i think maybe what 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 gets people what the argument becomes is that a lot of us you know we go and we live abroad we school abroad and so when we come back home we want replicas of what's abroad to be here for us to be comfortable mm. and i think mm. that that's where the problem comes in when we're trying yeah, to copy paste yes when we're trying to copy paste and i think that's also something that's been a critique of elitists um Yes, like politicians and yeah. stuff who like go. I know my my aunt used to say this all the time. She's like, "How can all these politicians go visit all these Western countries and then come back to Nigeria and see the way we're living and not do anything about it?" You know what I mean? Because like yeah. we'll have like all these like power outages and like potholes, like depending on you know where you live and whatever. Yeah. Um, but okay, I'm gonna say Maryland has mega potholes in the U.S. Oh, Maryland. really? <laughs> EG County with the potholes, yo. <laughs> um. <laughs> Oh, that's God. all I'm saying but yeah. yeah so a lot of people feel really let down by um you know the ruling class um you know like you know people in political power who have the power to like you know give us steadier light in Nigeria and everything and they're like you know they go to all these western nations they see how people are living over there and then they just come and continue spoiling Nigeria because I think that's I, I don't know who made this comment I don't know if it was Tosin I don't know if it was you somebody made the comment when they're talking about if you know, politicians had to educate their kids in the countries that they live in and they had to get healthcare from the countries that they lived in, the African continent would look so different. Yo, but that's actually the truth and it's a sad one. Isn't it? Because they go to Western countries and get their healthcare. They go to Western countries and get their education. So there's no motivation to develop the ones that they have here because they have the yeah. privilege and the honor or not even the honor they have the way out to just go get what they mm-hmm. need from elsewhere need elsewhere while they continue sucking the continent dry and i think i guess this is like the issue with a lot of these like elitist um a lot of these like pan african you know even afropolitan theories is that sometimes they feel like blind to the other social social classes like the other social stratas of the of the community right because like while because i know one thing that a lot of people were talking about so nigeria just finished up its elections and surprise surprise buhari's president again i'm Um, i'm very very doubtful of that i'm just like with how much i've seen you know like with the complaints and everything i've seen again exactly like like, people burning ballots all these things um i find it very hard to believe that people would willingly go back to the ballots and elect him 
Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, you know, it's not impossible either. I don't know. That's it's neither here nor there. The yeah. point is that, yeah. um, and I, I mean, that's actually very here. Like it's, the elections was not okay. Like the way it was ran was not okay. That's definitely like a thing. But a lot of some things that, that people were seeing on Twitter is like, you know, all these like leading up to the elections. Cause yeah. a lot of people were like being like, Oh, like your bads and Ebos are fighting. And like the North doesn't like everybody else and nobody else. Like, you know what I mean? So like all these like, um, like regional disputes yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and people like were making the point on Twitter that like I don't understand why you guys like are like fighting Ebo versus Yoruba blah 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 like all these senators yeah. and like um you know the president and whoever else like they are all buddy buddy like they're not doing all this like tribal rubbish like so it's like so together the elite class isn't like um engaging in all these like uh I I I hate to use the word tribal so that's why I'm like yeah. pausing um <laughs> of like big basically like engaging in all these like ethnic differences like they're all just getting rich together while like you know the poor person is like oh like i hate Hausa people i hate evil people i hate mm. yoruba people blah 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 blah, blah. Mm. you know what i mean and mm. so i think it goes back to this idea of like okay like at the elite stage all these people are, are like oh pan-africanism let's all work together one yeah. nigeria blah 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 <laughs> um meanwhile like people on the ground like that's not their reality and they're like i don't know i don't, I don't know what i'm trying to go with this but it's just I'm just trying to say, like, it's a very, there's a lot of difference between the realities on the, like, for people who yeah. don't have access to certain resources, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's just, it's just a lot to digest, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, Amayo, I think that's a really good point that you've raised, because I think, what we realize a lot is that or what the situation is a lot of times is that unfortunately in our countries you know illiteracy rates are quite high and so a lot of times you know the a, a good chunk of the masses or a chunk of the masses you know depending on what country that you're in i know in ghana our literacy rate is still um a bit low um so a good chunk even of the that masses one is like regionally i'm sorry like some regions even that is regionally, like I know, like the northern region, yeah, yeah, and even Nigeria are like very high illiteracy rates, yeah, um, compared Whereas, to other regions, right? Compared to other regions, exactly. So there's lots of variances in it, but I think what happens is that a lot of times, you know, politicians, um, you know, different ruling classes, whatever that, um. That means either from a business perspective or politics perspective or government, like just whatever, are able to wield that illiteracy because then, like you're saying, it becomes about people at the top arguing over Lord knows what, but then being able to also weaponize certain thing with the masses to kind of fight the the battle for them and do the dirty work. So as Mm. laymen at the end of the value chain, more or less, are quibbling and killing each other and and doing the the wrong because okay I, I i'll bring this into a bit more perspective for instance so in ghana we're still about two years away from our election but recently um the opposition party ndc just elected its um like you know who the flag bearer is going to be and surprise surprise it's the former president john mahama who you know the less said about him the better but what I found out, for instance, is that now what's happening, and sadly, the party that I support, it looks like is also taking part in it, is they've now each kind of formed vigilante groups almost, where they've right. gotten, you know, young, abled men who probably aren't getting access, you know, don't didn't have access or don't have access to the education that they need to, don't have access to stable, gainful, gainful employment, and so have been kind of recruited as kind of vigilante groups that kind of just incite violence. So it's almost like the watchdogs. So, man, we need that person beaten up because they're talking crap about Lord knows what. Vroom, 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 they go over and they do it. So, for instance, um, in a recent kind of local election that happened, there were, like, clashes with these vigilante groups or these kind of watchdog groups. Um, people got hurt, etc. But when you think about it, you know, what are the people at the top doing? You know, they're mm-hmm. they're engaged in Lord knows what bribery, Lord knows what theoretical things, like just doing all kinds of things. But people on the ground are the ones that are laying their lives down and doing etc. because they need the money. 
And so they, you know, it's easy for them to be used as tools um, to kind of further whatever agendas that they come up with. I think having kind of rambled on and said all of that, I just realized that we actually, you know, we've said 10,000 elitist things or elitism, we, we haven't even defined it. Like, what do you mean, uh, for instance, when you say um, elitism and elites and etc.? Right, right. So actually for me, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly like um, struggling with the term a bit because so clearly like elite just means like um, it's usually like referring to like the ruling class or people with like a lot of privilege. Right. So you have like, you know, academic elites like I know in the U.S. they'll throw they'll throw around like the the um, democratic elite or whatever, mm. which usually just means like people who are like well educated. Da, 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 da. So um, depending mm. on what like what who you're referring to elite just typically means like the top of the top. Right. So like mm. elite graduates, elite, this, it just means like the top shelf of whatever. And so mm. you can use it in a socioeconomic way. You can use it completely in a class sense. So like the elite class, the ruling class, mm. the whatever. Mm. And so those terms are kind of used like interchangeably. Right. So that's mm. just elite. Mm. But once you start saying elitist or elitism, then it start it becomes an ism. Right. Mm. And so like elitism would be like, discrimination against people who are not elite mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. when we're talking about an, an elitist policy mm-hmm. right it'll be something that like discriminates against those people who wouldn't be considered elite so typically it'll be people who wouldn't have like the economic standing in the society to be considered elite mm-hmm. right so when we were talking earlier about mm-hmm. oh afropolitanism is elitist it means like oh like afropolitanism is elitist quote-unquote because um people who identify as afropolitan have a certain level of privilege that allows them to like discriminate against or like forget about the poorer classes. Right. Um, so mm. I would say that like, yes, Afropolitan is elite, but I wouldn't say it is elitist because I think there might be elitist Afropolitans who aren't considering like all oh, poorer sections of their community mm. um, of like, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but mm. that doesn't mean that Afropolitan in and of itself is elitist. elitist. I would say it is kind of an elite concept mm. but i wouldn't say it is elitist um okay. but that's just my definition and i think other people might um view it a different way that all elites are always elitist but um yeah. i don't personally see it that way i think you can be an elite and wield your elitism you can wield your privilege as an elite in a um, gainful way yeah it's when you like it's elite and then act as if like everybody should just pull themselves up by their bootstrap or like your elite <laughs> le- your elite status is god given and blah blah yeah. blah i think that's when you become elitist mm, mm, mm. i think yeah um I, I think i'll just say that i i completely agree with you know kind of your explanation and the kind of distinction that you've made between the two you know being elite and being elitist and maybe i agree because of self-serving because i don't want to see myself <laughs> as being elitist but you know we'll leave we'll leave that table alone <laughs> but um I think that to be fair like being back home that's also something that I've realized you know I don't think I'll go so far as to say that you know I'm elite or my family's elite um you know I think for instance from my dad's side by God's grace you know he has you know he does well from his himself his business does well but at the end of the day I think elitism also comes always with like a a level of education and you know other Mm -hmm stuff that I don't think that we necessarily have because you know when he was growing up he was way too poor to you know afford any of all of that so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think yeah it, different yeah. people have different cutoffs yeah for what they consider elite like um a lot of people like I was saying elite is typically interchangeable with ruling class mm-hmm. so it would have to mm-hmm. mean that not only are you socioeconomically well off you're also yeah. like politically, politically plugged in to like change things right yeah and so for me that's like elite elite right but i think that um compare elitism is all i mean elite class is also like comparative right so i think at least for me when i'm thinking about it as far as like you know in the terms of afropolitan i don't know i feel like we would be in that group and i'm similar to you where like definitely like working class background everything like that but i do have access to like education i am able to like I've gone home one or two times, you know, I've gone to Nigeria, travel, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then like, we would also be able to like, if and when we're ready, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm rambling Mm. right now. Um, Mm. (laughs) But basically I think, I think elite is um, a comparative term. Right. And so 
a lot of times when you're looking at like the statistics of the country, right? The fact that you're even able to like access middle class, access a certain level of education, mm-hmm. go to boarding school. Some people might be like, okay, that's elite. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just depends on like where your cutoff is. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, th- I think, I think for me, I always kind of pair it up. I pair up the two because I think whenever you think about like lots of different societies, um, cause I remember I took a class on Latin America, for instance, and, um, it talked about the roles that like the elite played in the political systems, for instance, and, um, yeah. how, you know, in certain countries, um, the elites helped America to further the agenda and suppress the masses, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, when I think, I think, you know, socioeconomic status um, and socioeconomic, you know, well-being is definitely a big part of it. But I think that, you know, that kind of social power and political mobility political power, and yeah, yeah that, that kind of influence um, kind of rounded yeah. off. I think having said that, though, I think. Hmm. I guess if I play devil's advocate, I feel like also maybe like the disdain for elitism or any kind of elitist mm-hmm. kind of elites classes, whatever, also maybe stems from 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 this political stuff, right? Because um, right. when we think about um our countries i think you know maybe i go on a tangent here maybe other people won't agree you guys listening if you don't agree definitely let me know we can talk about this further is i think about the fact that for instance our independence initially um was championed by the elites in ghana yeah so it was that's what i was saying about pan-Africanism. yeah it was championed by you know the big six most, if not all of whom were educated abroad and kind of came mm-hmm. back and said, you know what, let's, um, we need to be independent. However, I think what's not said a lot, what's not said often enough is that the big six wanted to get independence eventually, whereas Kwame Nkrumah was like independence now. I forget the exact um, slogan, but it was something like now, like it's like a do or die, like it needs yeah. to be right now. And funny right. enough, to this day, there are people, there are two schools of thought, or there are two people, like there are um, people that are still um, able to argue and say that they fully believe that if things had gone the way of the big six, Ghana would be in a much different position than it, it, it is right now. Because the big yeah, because the big six kind of wanted an eventual transition. So it yeah, wanted gradual. like a yeah a gradual let's learn from you guys because you guys have been governing our country let's put it in the best position and then you guys can eventually leave whereas in Chroma, I was like uh-uh I don't have time for this you hand over my country <laughs> right now. now yes but I think yeah, that's interesting yeah um but I think therein also lies a common critique that I've heard about elites elites um being the fact that there's always like a there's always lots of white adjacent behavior or lots of mm-hmm. we're comfortable with the white person, even over my own countryman, because, oh, you know, the whites are wiser. Or like, I don't know. I mean, sorry, I've been rambling on for a lot of my yeah. life. So please. No, no, me. I think you're right. I think because I think the thing is that a lot of times um, how the elite is classed is those who have the most to lose from the status quo, mm-hmm. from changing the status quo, I should say. Right. Um, so it's the people who like currently, um, currently benefit from the system, Mm. right. Who are able to like carve out their own niches Mm. or whatever of like accumulating wealth. Mm. Um, it's not everybody who falls into that category. Right. And Mm. so it's always kind of like, um, I think people were kind of saying this, um, with Sudan a bit and I'm not, I'm not, um, like super well informed about yeah. the protests going on in Sudan at the moment. But essentially like their dictator has been in um has been ruling for the past thirty years. Mm. And the way that he was kind of able to maintain that was like having like um kind of like being able to like give favors to like certain classes, to like the elite class, right? Who were able to like kind of just like look away because like at least, you know, they got their bread and butter and yeah. like, you know, they were fine, right? They yeah. but now it's kind of like issues hit the fan and like no one's happy from like the from really rich people all the way to like the poorest people like Mm. now everybody's unhappy Mm. um and that's like 
such an oversimplification of 30 years of dictatorship. Um, But essentially what I'm trying to say is that like, I think a lot of the reasons that people have a disdain for elites is that they'd usually be the last to join a revolution, Mm. right? Because Because they're comfortable. They... Yeah. Yeah, they're comfortable. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that, that that that's the word for it. Honestly, like comfortable. I can educate my kids. I can, you know, make money. I can do X, Y, Z. Like mm. I'm good. Mm. Um. Mm. But yeah, yeah. 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 I I agree. I agree. So I think you know if we kind of come back to the issue at hand, right? Where we were talking about, um, you know, is there a problem? Or is it problematic to show our modern side and to show that there is affluence on the continent and it isn't a single story of strife, you know, through things like Afropolitanism or, you know, whatever it may be. Like, you know, where where do we stand on this? Like, do we think it is an issue or, you know, does it lie somewhere in the middle or, you know, where do we where do we stand on it? For me, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about um, with the who for, right? Yeah. Because I've actually started getting annoyed of about this whole, like, oh, the Africa they don't show you mm. thing. Mm. I don't know. For some reason, I'm a little bit tired of that narrative now because, yeah. like, we already have so many media outlets that show our story. Like, we have OK Africa. We have Face to Face Africa. Mm. We mm. just have, like, mm. I, could na- I could, like, list them all forever. So this idea that we keep on wait- waiting for Western nations to cover our stories, I'm like nah, like, I've, like we've, we've mm. moved on, like, let's move on, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. And so for me, it kind of goes back to this idea that sometimes when we're trying to, like, counter the narrative of, like, a, a poverty Africa or whatever, which we know the West still mm. perpetuate, mm. instead of trying so hard to, like, be like, oh, the, the Africa the West doesn't show you, the mm. Africa the media doesn't show you, yeah. for me, I'm like, what media outlets are you following? For me, I'm following other media outlets that already show me, like, Mm. Oh, you know, the beautiful beaches of Lamu and blah, 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 yeah. blah. So, like, I don't know what you're talking about mm. um, because my media shows me the all the the not that my media only shows me like the elite parts of Africa, whatever, whatever. My mm. I, I follow media outlets that show me a balanced view of different aspects, like, you know, conflicts arising, issues happening here mm. and there. But then also show me like, oh, like this amazing woman who started her own business and mm. like, la, 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 la. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it just goes back to this idea of like who, 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 who is gazing, um, wh- who are we performing for, mm. right? Because I think mm. once we move, because mm. mm. um, we can't replace a single story with another story, right? And um, this yeah. is um, really something that was said by uh, an author that I'll probably link down below because I don't want to pretend it was just my um, my quote. Um, but when he was responding to Afropolitanism, like you can't take you can't take a single story and replace it with another story. And I think yeah. you get into that when you're trying to only counter the West's narrative. Mm. But when we're sticking to our own media outlets, we're able to have more of those like complicated, nuanced conversations. And I think that's what we should keep going for instead of trying to continually um, replace one single story with, with another one. And I think yeah. that's kind of where the balance lies. Like, let's stop like performing for the Western gaze, right? Because mm. then that's when we have flattening stories of elitism. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, because funny enough, I was reading something that said, you know, is Afropolitanism the new single story? Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, like, you know, I don't know, because, you know, I, I know that I myself have been very guilty of trying to explain and justify to people, no, 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 it's not all this and this, we have this, it's actually... But it's like at the end of the day, why why do I need to justify myself or why do I need to make my place of origin so Western adjacent to you to make you feel comfortable? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, of course, I need to be authentic and true to my experience. Like I'm not gonna have a story of strife and a story of poverty and I had to walk ten miles if I didn't have to. It's not my story. However, and I think um, Mm. this idea that you were saying, like being true and authentic to your story Mm. is like so important because Mm. I have to tell you guys this hilarious story, still triggered by it. Gosh, yeah. (laughs) Um, From when I took when I took um, a trip to Ghana with my um, Elon class back in 2013. And I remember um, there was there was a variety of people on this trip. But I remember we started off, we landed in Accra, of course, and then like went off to um 
the eastern part of Ghana. Um, and then we were like handed out the books that we mm-hmm. like had collected, da da da, like typical typical volunteer tourism stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though this was like a history and culture yeah. trip, right? And so when we got back to Accra, um, I remember we were on the bus and this really broke my heart because it came from one of the people that like, I felt like, oh, like these people get it on the mm-hmm. trip because like some of the people on the trip were like, oh my God, I don't want to eat stew. It's too spicy and la 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 la. <laughs> um, so there were some of those people on the, on the trip, but the, there was other people who were like really engaged and like wanted to learn and like think and everything. But those same people or same person or whatever, um, when we went back into Accra, they were like, oh, I really don't want to be here because like we're not like in the authentic Ghana. Oh, and I was like, what's your authentic what? Ghana? Excuse me? <laughs> what's the authentic Ghana? And so basically for them, like just because like we were in the city um and there was all these skyscrapers and um you know other things that you would see in other western countries i guess like they felt like we weren't in the authentic ghana and i'm just like and so for me this idea that like authentic ghana had to be like the village that we had just come from and that's the only part of ghana that's authentic to you like aren't there real ghanaians like living and working up in these skyscrapers i mean yes that doesn't mean that there ours isn't like a slum right behind like you know this patch of wealth or whatever Mm. but this idea that like it's just the slum um and just the villages that like portray africa even while you were in africa like like you're in the same bus as me like we are looking out the same window (laughs) like why is it that this can't be authentic ghana to you as well and i actually had a friend in class um like a week or two ago, she told me that she heard that exact same line from another like, um, sorry, but like white girl in her program. And I was just like, mm. woo, like, woohoo, you know, like, yeah. so you're telling me it's fake Ghanaians that are in these buildings? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I guess this, this is where it comes in, where we try to justify ourselves to these people to show, right. oh, this is, this is how it is or whatever. But it's I mean, like at the end of the day. Yeah. If you want to be woefully ignorant, so right now, if I go to, um, I don't know, what's a really glamorous place? If I go to, I don't know, Calabasas or Pasadena, I don't know where the wealthy neighborhoods are. But if I go there, can you tell me that I haven't authentic, like it's not the authentic USA because I haven't gone to a slum or I haven't gone to homeless shelters in LA, for instance. And so it hasn't been an authentic experience. I think, exactly. yeah, at the end of the day, you know, we don't live in absolutes, you know, different right. facets and, you know, we can be multifaceted and multidimensional. Of course, you could have wealthy pockets surrounded by poor areas, whatever, but that is just the reality of where we live. So if you are in the rich yeah. area, I think all, all I say is just be empathetic. You know, obviously don't come back and say, oh, there are no problems with Ghana. <laughs> it is completely all fast. skyscrapers and nice beaches all skys- no because we're a developing country so guess what we're going to be characterized by both and that's just what it is mm-hmm, and- mm-hmm. but I mean like like you're saying too though like even these developed countries they're also characterized by both there's like so much poverty in like various parts of like Appalachia in the US and like even within like really like glamorous cities like New York as well mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so yeah, developed like- or developing blah 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 like everyone there's no single story of any one place. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously you can make the argument that, yeah, but the Appalachians or whatever makes up like 2% or 0.5% of the U.S. Right. Fine. Yeah, we get like it. Breaking down by of course, whatever, yeah. yeah, we get it. But I think all we're saying is there's nothing wrong with us wanting to show whatever is authentic to us. I think as right. long as we do it with responsibility... And yes. we, like Amala, like you've said, we don't try to replace one single story by another so singular story. And that we right. also are empathetic, um, you know, to the plight of others, you know, who don't share that story with us. I, I think I, th- I think that's, at least for me, that's the middle ground where this lies, because I don't know if I've already said it on this podcast, but when I first moved to the U.S., I was like, what? What are all these narratives of strife? I'm like, what is this? Like, you know, if <laughs> where I got, are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like if I got to Elon because my village contributed 
you know, did a susu for me to come here. Like, I would wear that with pride. Like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But that is not my story. And so when Mm. you keep pushing this narrative of war and child soldiers on me, like, I, like, rebelled so much. And I guess I went to the other extreme of just trying to be like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't even know anybody like that, you know? (laughs) (sighs) So Yeah, I know. That's the danger, right? And so now that, you know, we've had that experience, it's time to, like, start moving back down. Mm. Let's start to start moving to the middle because mm-hmm. for me like it is 2019 like if you cannot google mm. like <laughs> mm-hmm. that there are different pockets of like mm-hmm. realities within like the vast continent that's africa then mm-hmm. like that's on you it's not mm-hmm. my job to like show you any any story like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not my job anymore you know like it, it, i think similar to you like when we we're in elon it felt like my job to be like oh like absolutely africa didn't even show you blah 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 but now mm. i kind of look at that and shake my head like that that wasn't my job that was never my job <laughs> mm, mm, mm. and i think that's what that's what we also need to be aware of because then that's what gives validity to the western gaze stuff because then if our afropolitanism and our pan-africanism and our whatever isms is all about like showing the western and the white gaze that oh look at us too we're quite similar we're more similar to you than we than you imagine yeah yeah then that's where we we go wrong but i think we just need to own our own narratives like wherever you come from own it with pride have empathy about others that don't have your um your experience and then let's just theorize about how we can move forward and not do copy copy paste development here you know we have other other things to worry about yeah so yeah because going back to this idea of conferences i remember there's like this um narrative now of like africa rising right um Mm. i think i kind of like accidentally do this sometimes too when i'm not talking about like oh the african renaissance blah 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 Mm. but i mean i personally say that because i think like we are in a very special moment to really like define what the future looks like for us and define what um development looks like for us um so i I think i will continue using this this concept of the african renaissance Mm. but i have gotten worrisome about this narrative of like africa rising because similar to what um, a friend of mine Mm -hmm. said earlier today was like oh like yeah like africa rising da 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 but like is everyone rising with it Mm -hmm. you know are Mm -hmm. all africans rising with it and the truth is no like in a lot of places we see that while the economy is booming, right? That's the thing we say, like, we say, oh, look, this country's economy is booming, growing mm-hmm. markets, you mm-hmm. know, like, because um, we're trying to, like, attract more foreign investments, which isn't, like, a complete problem. Like, again, like, do it with care, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. So we, we keep talking about this idea of, like, oh, shoot, I lost where I was going, but this, <laughs> this concept of, like, Africa rising mm-hmm. is also very um, flattening at times mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's not, Oh, the, the, the widening, the widening, um, the widening wealth gaps. Mm -hmm. So while all these economies are growing, the, the, um, economic disparities are growing with it. Like Mm -hmm. it's actually like, if you look at the statistics, it's actually like crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, like a lot of these countries that are growing economically really fast, like people are just getting poorer and others are getting richer and the middle class is getting like smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. 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 Oh gosh. Yeah. That's that's a that's a lot to dissect, isn't it? But I think um, you know, in 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 terms of our in terms of our central kind of question that we um or series of questions rather that we were trying to um address, I think Back a bit, yeah. yeah. I think we're kind of there, isn't it? Are there any final thoughts, or can we go ahead and close this and just try to take the conversation offline to Twitter and whatever? Yeah. Agreed, agreed, agreed. I think this is definitely a conversation that needs to keep happening mm. because we always need to keep learning, unlearning and checking ourselves because I think it is really easy to like fall into these um, single narratives because we are trying to do certain things. And so I think, yeah, like back to like at the beginning when we were talking about like what is the use of these conversations? The use of these conversations is to like continue checking ourselves, right? Like let's talk about um, you know, mm. the growing opportunities on the continent, but let's also talk about you know, how do we close these economic disparities? How do we make mm, sure that mm, mm. everyone is rising and not just people mm. who are already um, elite, for lack of a better word? Mm, mm. Yeah, that's that's a really good jumping point because, you know, it segues back to what we said earlier, that there's lots of dialogues, but we need to move from dialogue to action. So let's, yes. let's, yes. let's get it popping. Let's get it moving. So 
I think that's it from us, guys. Um, Exactly. Let us know what you think as usual. This is a very fascinating topic. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. And, you know, there isn't, you know, it could be that we've just glossed over things that you thought are, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, you left out X, Y, Z, or you've completely, mm-hmm. um, you know, formed a wrong argument against this concept, whatever. Let us know um, and let us con- um, continue the conversation yeah. on Twitter. So, And so that is it from us, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Afropolitan Central. But of course, we don't want the conversation to end here. We're so eager to hear from you guys and get your thoughts and your insight. Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Afropolitan Central. We'll leave all the links below. Make sure that you are subscribed and following us on wherever you listen to your podcast. We cannot wait to see you at the next episode.